Good morning. Welcome to Bethany Church. We are so glad that you are here. If you are visiting us for the first time, beneath the seat in front of you is a connection card. This card has information about who we are and the heart behind our church. If you would take a moment and fill out that card, you can turn it in to Guest Central Station in the foyer for a free gift or the offering box in the back of the sanctuary. We would love to connect with you. One of the things I love about the kingdom of God and its principles is that there is room for everyone. One day, Jesus was sitting across from the treasury and was watching people. Some gave moderately and some gave much. But a woman who dropped in two copper coins commanded his attention. He gathered his disciples and pointed out how richly she gave. In the kingdom of God, it does not matter the amount that you give, but the heart and the sacrifice with which you gave. When you give happily and out of joy and appreciation, there is room for you and your gift, no matter how large or small. God sees you and knows the sacrifice it means to you. So if it is in your heart to give, there are offering boxes in the back. Thank you for your generosity and your giving hearts. Ladies, on May 13th at 11 a.m., we are going to be having our Ladies and Lemons Luncheon. You don't want to miss this. Mark your calendars, invite a friend. It's going to be a wonderful time of connection of faith and relationships and teaching in the word that I'm going to do. I'm excited to share what the Lord has put on my heart. Sign-up sheets are in the foyer. Don't miss out. I would love to see you. Well, good morning. I wanted to make sure I got up here at the right time. I didn't want to false start like I did last week and start becoming like a Kansas City Chiefs offensive lineman. Um, <laughs> too many false starts. I just, let me introduce myself real quick. My name is Jeff Urso. I, many, many years ago, was hired here as the children's pastor. And after a few years, I resigned from that to take care of some other endeavors I've stayed on as a volunteer. I now lead the Journey Youth Group, who are sitting in the middle, and as I'm told, are solely responsible for Snapchat being the second most used app in our building on Sundays. So if you're all wondering what they're doing in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings while Pastor Jordan's preaching, they're snapping. Um, so... Speaking of Pastor Jordan's preaching, I love listening to Pastor Jordan preach. It's one of the main reasons that we uh, have been here for almost 12 years. Uh, he is very relatable. He's very uh, instructive. Uh, I love it, especially when Liz is gone, uh, because then it's Jordan versus the kids. Um, and that is just hilarious. I think we should get like some little cameras like these guys in, our, in their house just to film it. Be a great web series. Jordan versus the kids. Um, speaking of Liz being gone, because uh, she's in Israel, she's having a fantastic time, as evidenced by the photos she's throwing up on Facebook every day. Uh, if you are interested in, I'm waiting for my, the slide to come on. If you are interested in uh, going out to Israel in, in 2025, we are having an interest meeting for Israel on May the 7th, right after church at 1145. 
Uh, my wife's in here, so now she knows because she's really interested in going to Israel. So um, I encourage you guys to check that out with us. Um, you know, I do feel for Jordan when it's Jordan versus the kids because I have this same kind of a, a story. Um, I, uh, when my kids were much younger, they're 17 and 14, pray for me. Um, but right now, and when you live in California, like three and one. And I had lost my job. I had been laid off because I lived in California. And when you live in California, eventually you get laid off. Um, so I'm looking for a job, and I found myself being a stay-at-home dad. If you are a stay-at-home parent, I have a lot of respect and love for you because that is a job I cannot do. My wife almost laid me off from that. Um, one day was particularly stressful, though. I was, I was stressed out. I was depressed. The kids are running around screaming. I don't know if you've ever had a baby who cries over everything, but that was my daughter. And then she started crawling and cried even more because she could crawl. So on this particular day, she's crying and crawling. Uh, my son Joseph's got every Hot Wheels known to man scattered all over the house, lined up in perfect little rows so you trip over them wherever you go. And by the time my wife got home from work, I was just done. I handed her Jillian, who was one years old at the time, and I said, I don't know where Joseph is. He's around here somewhere, but I'm leaving. And I went out to dinner in a movie just by myself to get away from the kids. Uh, thank you. And now they've brought their friends to my house on a constant basis. So, you know, that's cool. You know, we've been talking about suffering this, this past couple of weeks, and Pastor Jordan's been doing a masterful job of telling us about suffering. And I just wanted to throw a little bit, uh, a Bible verse out there to you guys. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I do count all the trials and sufferings I've gone through in the past as joys, and it's also a little bit of a reminder. Your trials are temporary. They're not permanent. They will not, thank God, Elizabeth will be home soon. Um, unless she's on the Southwest flight, and then she'll be delayed. Um, <laughs> our trials are temporary. It doesn't matter if it's a day, a week, a month, a year. They're going to be temporary. We're going to come out of it better at the other end of it. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. I'm going to kick this thing over to Pastor Daniel. He helps us in journey. We call him the vice principal. Um, so, Pastor Daniel. All right. Good morning, everyone. You know, what's been interesting is we've been going through this suffering series uh, for the last couple of weeks and reading the book of 2 Timothy in the midst of this has been quite Interesting, because it's got a different tone than what I thought it was going to have. Um, I've read it many, many, many times. But you know what? In 2 Timothy, this is Paul addressing uh, his spiritual son. And as he's addressing his spiritual son, he's sitting here in the Mamertine prison, getting ready to die. And he's facing, he's looking at it. And Paul's a man who knew suffering. Man, when you think about what he has gone through, he's been imprisoned multiple times, Right? He had been beaten with rods. He had gotten the 39 lashes. Now, we got the kids in here today. 
Y'all never had 39 spankings from your parents, have you? <laughs> I've got some hands. Uh-oh. I wasn't expecting that. Um, see, he didn't just have 39 lashes once. He had it five times. Five times. He was shipwrecked three times and spent an entire day and night in the sea. This man knew suffering, and it just wasn't in his physical body. He knew broken relationships. He knew pain from people that had wounded and hurt him and left him. He was completely abandoned for his first trial in Rome. So Paul knew suffering. And he's writing here to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.3. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Share in suffering. See, this word suffering really struck me in the Greek because this word means to suffer together. And this word's only used twice in the New Testament by Paul. And it's here in 2 Timothy. He's talking to his spiritual son saying, hey, share in suffering together, not just with me, but with all of us. And the first thing I want to say about suffering this morning is that you're not alone when you suffer. Doesn't matter how alone you feel. Because there's one who's gone through suffering before us, who is always with us. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. So he is always with you within your suffering. But you know what? Because God's a good God, a lot of times he will put relationships in our lives to walk through suffering with. Paul had this in his life. You remember when he was imprisoned in uh, Philippi? He had Silas with him. When he got stoned, can you, I didn't even mention that in the first sufferings that I was talking about. He got stoned and left for dead. Many scholars believe he died. What happened? He was surrounded by the saints in that area as he was coming alive. He had relationships around him. See, a lot of times we're going through suffering, and God provides relationships for us that we don't even realize. And all it takes is a little bit of reaching out, connecting with somebody, saying, hey, I'm going through this, being open and honest. I remember Jessica and I were in a season, and we, we had just experienced one of our miscarriages. And I remember going through this time, and I was grieving. We were, we were in a tough spot. We had just found out. And you know what we had to do? We reached out to a man and David. And we sat down, and we had a conversation with him. We wept. We cried. But there was a relationship right there with us to walk through the suffering that we had to go through. You know, Paul says to Timothy, suffer as a good soldier for Christ. Well, when we suffer for the gospel, the thing we've got to realize is that we're joining in all the generations that have gone before us that have suffered for the gospel. When we bring the word of God and we live a righteous life, we're connecting with that great cloud of witnesses and we're joining with them together in their suffering that they had experienced. So the King, the, excuse me, the New King James Version says it a little bit differently than what I just read to you. It says, endure hardships with me. So if you get one thing out of what I'm saying up here this morning, I would say this. Pay attention to endure because suffering requires endurance. And Paul goes on to talk to Timothy about three things that we're going to look at real quickly this morning. Three things that describe endurance that we need to have through suffering. So he goes in 2 Timothy 2, 4 through 6, and he says, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. 
An athlete is not crowned unless he compares or competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He gives him these three examples to describe enduring through suffering. And then he says this. Pray to the Holy Spirit. Meditate on these things. He'll show you what I'm talking about. That's the Daniel version of what comes next in the Bible. But he says these three examples. The first example is that of a soldier. The soldier must be disciplined to not get entangled in the civilian affairs or the circumstances around you. When we're going through suffering, the first thing we must do is not get entangled with what we're going through. Does that mean we deny reality? No. No, we don't disconnect from what's going on. We face what we are. We, we acknowledge what we're facing. We don't get entangled by it or encumbered by it. See, we go camping every year as a family to this spot that we would go as kids. It's called Emerald Lake Campground, right? So every time we're driving into this campground, you go up over the top of this, this hill, and there's a pond off to the side there. And I remember as a kid, every time we would drive by that pond, my dad would say, don't ever try to walk on lily pads. <laughs> Things chock full of lily pads. It almost looks like it's a little valley cross there, right? Don't ever walk on lily pads. Now, as I drive by it with my kids, I say, don't ever walk on lily pads. Why? Because the roots are going down into that pond. And if you try to walk on the lily pads, you get entangled or encumbered by those roots that, that are there. See, what he's saying here is don't get entangled by the emotions or the circumstances that you're in the midst of. Why? Because you've been given victory over it. See, Jesus went before us, gave us victory over it. So we don't need to become subject to those emotions, those circumstances, those situations that we're suffering through because he gave us victory. You see, the soldier walks with the perspective of victory because his king went before him. The second one is the athlete. And it talks about the athlete competing according to the rules. So the athlete's got to do, well, he's talking about the Olympic athletes, right? See, an athlete has to be faithful to compete. He has to be faithful to run the race or compete in the games that he's got. Well, these Olympic athletes in the day, they had to train as part of the rules for 10 months prior to the games. That was part of what they, they had to be faithful in engaging what they're doing. What's, what's the purpose for an athlete doing this? Why are they putting themselves for 10 months of training, doing all this stuff, walking faithfully? Well, the purpose is to win. They have a drive and a demand for win. So what they've got is they've got the vision for winning, driving them. It's amazing to me these different aspects that Paul's talking about to Timothy, these examples that he's giving him. They all talk about your perspective in the midst of suffering. Where is your perspective? Is your perspective on the victor? The victory that he's given you is your perspective on winning, walking, and overcoming faithfully. So the third one is the farmer. Now the farmer, he has to diligently work with patience. Diligently walk, work with patience. See, that soldier had to be disciplined. The athlete had to be faithful. The farmer had to be diligent to work. Now, we live in Montana. There's a lot of hard workers in this place, right? 
it's easy to work when you're seeing results, right? In fact, our society today tells us if you're not seeing results, you're failing. If you're working and you're not seeing something immediate, you're failing. Here's the thing. The farmer has to work with patience. And patience is not waiting. Those are two different things. Because you can sit there and you can wait complaining. You can wait grumbling, angry, frustrating. Ask the people of Israel. They had to keep going around that mountain over and over and over again because their attitude in the midst of waiting was off. But see, patience has a godly attitude as you wait. See, patience walks with peace as you wait. Patience has the perspective far beyond the immediate. You know what that farmer has to do? See, the farmer works. He has to tend the ground. He has to get it ready for seed. He plants that seed. He has to keep being diligent and working when that seed is in the ground, and he sees absolutely nothing going on. That seed is in the ground, breaking open. Life is beginning to be produced. That farmer has to keep working in spite of seeing no results. That's working with patience. You know why the farmer can sit there and continue to be diligent even when he sees no results? It's because he has the hope of the harvest. Hope is the perspective that keeps us going in endurance when we don't see any of the results. Why do you keep inviting that coworker to church when they reject you continually? Why do you keep going after the call of God in your heart even though you're not seeing anything going on? It's because of the hope of his harvest in your life because it will produce fruit. I'm going to close out real quickly with this. It's 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. This, they thought, was a, uh, a first century hymn that they would sing. And Paul's encouraging Timothy with this. And he says, this saying is trustworthy. For I, if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Even when we are walking through suffering, and we feel like we're at the end of the rope. We're about ready to throw the kids out the window because mom's not home. We're done. When you're faithless, lean back. He's faithful. Because his faithfulness will sustain you. His goodness will supply you. And when you're at the end, oh, he's got so much more. So I just want to encourage you, endure this morning. Uh, I'm going to have Adam come on up. It's... All right, so if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Adam Hagel. I lead the greeting team here at Bethany Church. And today I'm going to be anchoring in the passion of Christ. So if you've never heard that term before, the passion of Christ is actually a theological term talking about the time in which Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane all the way up until the point where he died on the cross. And there's no greater story of selfless suffering and doing it well in the history of the world. Firmly convinced of it. And it deserves and demands to be looked at in the context of what we're talking about. So what I'm going to do is give you an overview of the passion. And then I'm going to go into the point I want to make from here. So we're going to talk about the Garden of Gethsemane. Basically, Jesus knew that his time was, had come for 
So what he did is he took his disciples, went to the Garden Gethsemane, and he went to pray there. Now, he had, during this time, been prophesying about how he was going to be handed over to the Jewish leaders. He was going to suffer pretty badly. So he was setting his heart and his will upon the will of the Father. And when he was there, he actually was trying to get his heart in line with the purpose that God had for him because he had a choice in the matter. He was so stressed out in the matter, he was actually sweating blood. And this is not actually an exaggeration for the Bible. The Bible doesn't exaggerate in there. It's actually a condition called hematidrosis. When people are under extreme stress, they have been known to actually sweat blood. And what's crazy about it, considering that stress, is that he still chose to go to the cross. Because right afterwards, what ended up happening is he was given over to the Jewish leaders and he was sentenced to death. So he got his heart in line, then he was sentenced to death by the Jewish leaders. And what was interesting is he got scourged. If you've ever heard of being scourged, it's a Roman punishment where they'll take you and beat you within an inch of your life. They have a lash, a whip, that has a bunch of lashes on it, and they have fragments of bone and metal on the end of it. So not only do they beat you within an inch of your life, every time they strike you and they hit you, it cuts open your skin. So you bleed to death as well. And what's crazy about it is what is actually said about Jesus during this time in Isaiah 52, chapter 14, because it says that he was beaten so badly that he didn't even resemble humanity. He didn't even look like he was human. Anybody here ever seen The Passion of Christ? Anybody? Show of hands. Yes, maybe not some of the younger people. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. Because what's crazy about it, that movie didn't do it justice. Because when I looked up there, I said, wow, that was pretty horrific. But the crazy thing, he still looked like he was human. And the Bible said that he didn't look like he was human. But it didn't stop there. Because he was taken and he was actually pulled out. And on the way to the cross, he had a battalion of soldiers. 600 soldiers is what a battalion is, all right? They put a robe on him and they laughed at him and mocked him, called him king of the Jews. 600 people laughing at you while you're sitting there bleeding out. Didn't stop there, he went to the cross. And in order for us to understand the suffering he went through on the cross, you have to understand some of the evidence that the Bible gave us. Now, they say after he died, he, there was a spear there, and they ended up stabbing him between the ribs, and out came blood and water. What that tells us is as he hung upon the cross, not only was he bleeding to death, he was under extreme stress, and hardship because they had nails in his hands and his feet, he was also drowning in his own fluids inside of his lungs. We're going to add even more on top of that because it doesn't do it justice because people were sitting there mocking him. The Pharisees finally believed that they had gotten what they wanted and they were saying, he trusts in God, let God deliver him now. If he desires him. What they were actually saying is God doesn't love you because you're suffering. God doesn't love you. If he loved you, you wouldn't be up there. Or he'd come and save you in this exact moment. I, if you've never heard this before, I'm telling you that is a complete lie. That is straight from the enemy. And the reality of the matter is the battle was never over the life of Jesus. He was always going to die. The end was marked. He knew he was going to it. It was over the condition of his heart and his will. What's really interesting is at the very end... Jesus actually says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, is what it says inside the Bible. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at this moment, all the people sat there and they said, hey, hey, 
Look, he's calling on Elijah. What's really interesting about this is that the people believed that they had won, that Jesus had given up. And the point I'm trying to make with this, why I'm talking about the passion is because it showed how deeply Jesus suffered. And you have to understand what he overcame in order to understand the power of what I'm gonna talk about here. Because I wanna come back to this. I'm gonna come back in a second. I wanna tell you about the story of a man called Curtis Richter in the 1950s. He was a scientist and he experimented with rats. He had an experiment where he took a container and filled it half full of water. And then he took rats and he actually stuck the rats inside the water and he would sit there with a stopwatch and he would time it to see how long it took him to die. Yeah, are you really surprised that they had these experiments in the 50s? They literally sat around watching nuclear bombs go off in the 1950s, okay? Shouldn't surprise you. So what they found is all the rats died within 15 minutes of being put within the container. He did a second experiment, he followed it up. He took the rats in the same container, different rats, he actually alive ones, um, put them within the container, and right when he believed that they were about ready to die, they would reach in and they would grab the rats and they would hold on to the rats. And they would take care of them and they would give them just a little bit of rest. What was crazy about it is they put them back in the water and then they would time how long it took them to die. It took 40 to 60 hours for them to die. This experiment systematically showed the power of hope. There was about a 200 time increase on the time of the ones without hope compared to the ones with hope. You have to hold on to hope because it allows you to overcome suffering and difficulty. Now let's go back to the cross a little bit. You remember how Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This right here sounds like he had given up, but he hadn't actually. He hadn't given up. He was quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? He hadn't actually given up. He was going back to the word of God. He was quoting scripture and reaffirming that he believed every single word that God had spoken was true. He was actually declaring his commitment to God's purpose and his plans for him, and nothing was gonna stop him. Because the reality of the matter is he had proclaimed and prophesied about his death in the turmoil he was gonna go through, but he also, that there was gonna be a victory in it. He was gonna suffer terribly, but he had hope that allowed him to overcome his stress. Now, the thing I wanna say is you may have individual promises. We believe that God still speaks today. He may have given you promises here in this life. You may not have ever heard the Lord and given you individual promises, but I wanna give you something that you can hold on to no matter where you are inside this world. This life, it isn't the end. It's only the beginning of eternity, okay? For God so loved the world, they give his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We are eternal beings and we have to set ourselves on eternity. Second Peter 3.13 says, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. God has set a plan in motion to make things different and we need to trust in his timing for redemption. So as I close, I'm here to tell you, if you've ever suffered, God knows you suffered. He is, not, he is not oblivious to it. He knows you're going through it. He has seen every single time of difficulty, every single bit of turmoil, and every tear that was shed. 
That's why it says in the book of Revelations that he will wipe away every tear. Says that death will be abolished and he is making all things new because we have a hope that supersedes our situation. Suffering you're endured, it's not for any, it's not for nothing. There was a purpose behind it and God will redeem it. God will make all things new and you have to hold on to hope. It'll allow you and fuel you to overcome any suffering that you have. So I just want to say, I'm really sorry if you get any calls from the principal saying how your kid told him that we were killing rats or something inside a church. I apologize about that, but I'm making your life just a little bit more interesting. So you're also welcome for it. But with that being said, we have Pastor David. He's going to come up here and close this out. So can you guys welcome him? All right, that is good. If you'll turn with me to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. Well, this morning it was good to hear the discipline of faith and the power of hope so far. That is good. Well, it is my pleasure to close out the last 40 minutes of service today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Although I could. You never know. All right. Psalm 105, starting in verse 17. It says, He, God, sent a man before them, Israel, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Now, we all know the story of Joseph, right? He had dreams that his brothers and his parents would bow down to him. He bragged about it, and his brothers hated him for it. They were going to murder him, but instead sold him as a slave into Egypt. In Egypt as a slave, he was, uh, he was faithful to God, and God promoted him to manage his entire master's house. His master's wife tried to seduce him, and he ran from sin, but he was falsely imprisoned because of it. While he was in prison, he was faithful to God, and God elevated him so that he would rule the entire prison. And then we see the butler and the baker were thrown in prison, and they had dreams. Joseph was able to interpret their dreams. To the baker, he gave bad news, but to the butler, he gave good news. And he tried to capitalize on it and tried to get in with the butler to get a good word in with Pharaoh. But the butler forgot Joseph. Until, Joseph, until Pharaoh had a couple dreams that no one else could interpret. And the butler remembered Joseph. So brought him out of the prison. He interpreted the dreams for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh rose him, raised him up so he managed all of Egypt. And then when famine hit the land, it hit the whole earth, the Bible says. His brothers came to him and they bowed down. Now, when Joseph saw him, oh man, he was ready for some good old revenge, I think. He saw them and the Bible says he started questioning them harshly. And in the middle of him questioning them, I think he was ready to enslave them. He remembered his dreams. God brought his dreams back to his memory in the middle of the questioning. And I believe it softened his heart. What it did is all of a sudden he saw the providence of God. He saw his situation is not orchestrated by his brother's cruelty, but by God himself to raise him up. And you know, sometimes I feel like Joseph. Pastor told you, tells you that uh, we started this church because he and I had a same dream of what this church would become and what God had wanted to do in the city of Billings. Now, he talks about it quite a bit, but I don't. 
Why? Because I identify more with Joseph. And I believe that Joseph forgot his dreams because they were too painful to remember. Why? Because day after day, he was in that prison. He saw no way out. And he gave up on his dreams. And sometimes I don't talk about them because they're too painful. Because they seem too far away. And it just seems like it's not going to happen. It's impossible. And this morning, what I want to talk about is the suffering that happens when you are in faith. When you're in faith. Hebrew 11.1 defines faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And Romans 8.24 says that hope that's seen is not hope. Why do you still hope for something that you see? And so from the time that you receive a promise from God until the time that you see it fulfilled, you are in faith. And just like Psalm says, that until Joseph's word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The dreams that you have will test you. How many people are waiting for God to fulfill something in their life? See, there's quite a few of us. We're waiting on God. Maybe you have a dream from God. Maybe you have a call. You feel like you have a destiny to do great things for God, and you are waiting on it. And year after year, you believe that it's going to happen. But year after year, nothing happens. And some years, it looks like you're farther away than last year. And it gets frustrating, and it wears on you. You know, has anyone ever had God miss their time frame? You know, I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the dreams are painful for me to remember, because God repeatedly misses my time frame, you know? It should happen by this time. By the time I'm 40, surely, nope, comes and goes. Next year, nope, comes and goes. And you get frustrated. And remaining in faith is a continual test, day after day, waiting for the fulfillment of God's promise. It wears on you and it confronts you with this question. Will you still hope and remain faithful, even when it seems far away? So I have two areas that I want to look at where the Lord is going to test you in your faith. The first one is character. God's going to test your character. James 1.3 says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What are trials? Trials are suffering. Why? Why do we count it joy when we suffer? Because Romans 5.3-4 says, We know that tribulation or suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance, character. Now, a lot of people stop there and say character is produced through trials. But that's not where the verse ends. The verse says character produces hope. Hope. It takes character to hope. See, character is the only thing that will keep you moving forward when your circumstances say it's impossible for that to come to pass. There's no way for your dream to come to pass. It's impossible. Only character will carry you through. Only character will allow you to stand when people around you say, man, it's not working out for you. Maybe you should just give up on your dream. Maybe you should just move on. It takes character to hold on 
to hope. See, pastor tells you how I'm a faithful person. But you know what? I don't want to be faithful. You know what? Being faithful is hard. It's work. Sometimes I just want to let go of these dreams, you know, just give up and say, I'm moving on, you know, please just unshackle me from this dream and this call because I, it is too painful. I'm just sitting here waiting, you know, I don't want to be faithful. I want to give up. You know, I wish I could throw in the towel, but I have had to fight and overcome doubt and unbelief, and the lies of Satan. I have gone through through too much trials and tribulation to give up on these dreams now. There's no way. See, when you receive a word from the Lord or a promise from God, just like in the parable of the sower, Satan's going to come immediately and try to steal that word. He's going to try to steal that promise away from you. And if if you do hold on to it and he can't steal it from your hands, then he's going to cause persecution to rise up. Try to keep it from taking root in your life. And if that doesn't work, he's going to cause the cares of this world to grow up around you and choke out that dream and choke out that vision. And if you have a dream or a call from God, there is a suffering that takes place until you see that promise come true. But often the worst trial is waiting in and of itself. Because as you wait, you're tempted to do it yourself. And the second test is charisma. Your character and you have your charisma. These are your tests. What do I mean by charisma? It means are you going to strive in the flesh to do it yourself? Are you going to rely on your own charm, your own personality, your own strength to force open that door? Or are you going to allow God to do it in your life? See, sometimes we scheme like Sarah and Abraham. And all it does is produce an Ishmael in our life. It's a level of success, but it's not the fullness of God. But the problem is, is we like Ishmael. We're attached to Ishmael because we worked for Ishmael. That's that's my own blood, sweat, and tears that went into that. And if we create an Ishmael, God will ask us to give it up in order to have the true blessing of God. And that is suffering. If you have to let go of that Ishmael in order to receive the promise, that is a level of suffering that I don't think anyone in here truly has an understanding of it. But sadly, so many people cannot let go of that little kingdom that they built in order to have the kingdom of God. And they hold on to their small kingdom because they worked for it. It's here, it's tangible. Instead of letting it go and receiving the kingdom of God, it takes sacrifice to get rid of Ishmael's in our lives. Or maybe we charm and manipulate like Joseph with the butler. See, he gave the butler good news. Try to capitalize on it. Try to use the butler to get him out of prison and in a new position. And sometimes we look to people to fulfill the call for us instead of looking to God. 
But whenever we do that, we're going to get hurt by people. The butler forgot all about Joseph and left him there. The butler was like, thanks. I got a good word from you. Thanks for helping me out. And then forgot all about him. So we often get hurt by people when we look at them instead of looking at God. There are going to be tests and trials that you must suffer through to walk in the faith and see the promise of God fulfilled. If you read Hebrews 11, you will see the great men of faith in Hebrews 11. And in there it talks about how you look at and amazing things that God has done through these people. And when you read the Bible, sometimes you look at these people like they're the celebrity preacher, right? They got it going on. They, they're slick. They got cool things going on. They have your know, large estates. We look at them and we think that's the influencer. And that's what I'm going to be. That's what my calling is going to be. My calling is going to be big and in the spotlight. I'm going to look great doing it. But Hebrews paints a completely different picture of these men. And when you read the sufferings that they went through, and you read everything that they did, in Hebrews eleven thirty nine, 39, it says, And these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. They didn't even receive the promise of God. And it's going to take character for you to fulfill the promise of God, even if you're just laying the foundation for another generation. That's the question. What if it never happens for you? Are you still going to hold on to God? Sometimes I wonder if these trials are just producing stubbornness in me, you know, because I'm like, I'm not letting this go. There's no way I'm going to let this go. How are you going to hold on to your hope? How are you going to hold on to your faith? Even if you say, I am not going to see this, even if I don't, I am going to remain faithful and lay the foundation for someone else because you and I are benefiting from the faith that these men in Hebrews 11 had. And there are other people that can still benefit from your faith, but it's going to take character and it's going to take the ability to yield your will to his will, which is one of the hardest sufferings you can go through is to lay down your life. I like what, what, uh, what he said about the passion of the Christ. Do you know no one murdered Jesus? No one. It says that he laid down his life. He says, no one takes my life. I lay it down willingly. And that's what it takes from you and I. And that is the greatest level of suffering that you can have, is when you lay down your life for your hopes and your dreams and the call of God because that's what he's calling us to. Amen. Amen. Pastor. Well, you know what I love about having a team of people is you get a full gauntlet of perspectives. And I'm sure grateful because, you know, Jeff is a joker and David is very serious. <laughs> I can relate with David, man. I've been through some battles and trenches. And I'm just grateful for everyone preaching, man, Adam and Daniel and David and Jeff. I'm so thankful for what we have here. And I guess my takeaway is I was suffering. I had children tell me they were cold. They were hungry. They were crawling over me. I could hardly concentrate. But the best part was, as I was singing, they were looking at me. They were watching me. 
And there's something special about building for another generation. Let me tell you, you know, David talked about those dreams we had. I'll tell you a dream I had one night. I'm going to close out with this. I dreamed that I was pastoring a church full of old people. And we were in there praying. We were praying and praying and praying. Now, we meet on Wednesdays with old people, and we pray. That's what I'm doing back there. Now, I shifted in my dreams. This is a little, little dream I had. I went from praying with a bunch of old people, and then I went over into uh, the sanctuary of the church. And lo and behold, it was full of young people everywhere I looked. Now, I know you look at America today, and you think, man, there's no way that we can see God do something great in our generation. But I beg to differ. Man, I, I believe that. I will hold on to that. I am excited about what the future holds for my children because we're going to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, even if it's painful. And they're right, David. All right. We love you all very much. My wife will be back next Sunday, tell you all about Israel, and uh, I'd love to have you join us for that meeting. So let's stand up. Father, we just thank you this morning for this blessed group of people. I thank you for what the future holds. And we're not like those who draw back. And you said that your soul would have no pleasure, but we are of those who believe that you, Lord, will do the things that you said you do. We thank you, Lord, today for the service. I thank you for hope. I thank you for uh, all that you work in our lives and character. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. If you need prayer, we're here for you. We love you very much. We'll see you all next week. Amen. You are worthy.
just say tonight all over the earth, from Africa to Asia to Europe, 